So we are, oh yay, I see all my speakers are in. Fantastic. I have five amazing, amazing speakers, panelists with me this afternoon. For those who are just joining, my name is Bodam, Bodam Taiwo, and I am your moderator for this afternoon's event. So I will be directing the conversation a little and then also taking a bit of a backseat. And then with me, I have five amazing ladies who, and gentlemen, apologies, ladies and gentlemen, who are going to be um, having the conversation with us this afternoon and making sure and just you know sharing with us and answering all our questions. I was saying earlier, nothing is off the table. They've given us permission to ask just about anything. Well, maybe not quite just about anything, but you know what I mean. We're going to be asking. We'll push the barrier as much as we can. All right. So without further ado, all right, great. So I am going to start and jump right in. I'm going to introduce our very first panelist for today. Her name is Adora Onaga. She's a medical doctor. She has a specialty in internal medicine and nephrology. She also has a PhD in philosophy with a special interest in research in philosophy of medicine and medical humanities. She's currently a lecturer at the Pan-Atlantic University, and she's been a new member of Opus Day since 1994. She currently lives in Astor Hall residence on the Pan-Atlantic University campus. For those of you who don't know what part of what I said meant, don't worry, we're going to be asking Adora and she's going to be answering. Um, a warm welcome to you, Adora. I'm going to come back to you in a second with your introductory question. Um, can she hear me? He is a lawyer who loves reading novels as well as informative articles and journals. Sources tell me that he has a rather eclectic taste in music, but um, I'm going to be on the fence with that one. He's an avid football fan and he plays football as well. A warm welcome to you, Elisa. Such a pleasure to have you here this afternoon. Okay, I also have with me Kaka Amano. Kaka is an etiquette and lifestyle educator whose work focuses on helping women tap into their femininity by cultivating etiquette, elegance, and virtues. She's a wife and a mother to a beautiful baby boy, and in her spare time, she enjoys trying out new food, acquiring new skills, tending her little garden, and enjoying a really good cup of tea. Hi, Kaka. So good to have you here with us this afternoon. Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> Welcome. Okay, I have with me Josiane. Um, she is currently the head of quality in a pharmaceutical company in London. She has a doctorate degree in pharmacy with a master's degree in quality of medicinal products from France. She's currently writing her dissertation to complete her MBA with the Management School of University of Liverpool. She was born in Benin Republic. She grew up in France and she's been living in the UK for the past five years. Warm welcome to you, Josiane. So good to have you here. Really excited. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And last but definitely not the least, I have Benita and Kelechi. Now, Kelechi is a product project manager in the IT industry. He's passionate about technology, football, and politics. Benita is a business operations manager in a logistics company. 
She is passionate about styling hair, sucking Kelechi's blood, according to Kelechi, and family development. They met in 2014 at a friend's party. It was initially a hello hi conversation. They started talking again in 2016 and haven't missed it for a single day. They've been dating for over four years now and they got engaged a few weeks back. Warm welcome, Benita and Kelechi. Such a pleasure to have you here. Hi, Hi. Thanks for having oh, us. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so I'm going to go right into the conversation um, this afternoon. But first, I would like to invite you to introduce yourselves. And I'm going to start with Kaka. Now, Kaka, we know, or well, well, we know anyway, <laughs> um, that once you get married, or we used to think rather, that once you get married, life is easy you know, all the struggles and stress that have to do with purity, fly out the window, and everything just becomes easy because you have this man that's there, there with you. Um, however, we've seen a higher rate of infidelity in marriages over the past few years. Um, a lot of that even with women as well. And it's just so confusing. So you're young, you know, you're married, you're pretty. What are the challenges that you face living purity as a married woman, woman rather, and how have you managed to overcome it? Thank you for, you know, having me here. Like I said earlier, my name is Kaka Amano. Well, um, in answer to your question, but um, there are a lot of challenges that um, married women face. And I think each person's challenges are actually very different and they are dependent on what, you know, the person's temperament are. I think that for me, one of the greatest challenges that I faced in terms of living purity in my marriage is actually with regards to social media, because it kind of seems like everyone posts everything without actually filtering anything anymore. And sometimes, you know, you just begin to wonder, okay, am I the only one who doesn't do this or who doesn't do that? Am I the only one who isn't trending or fashionable in that department, you know? And then sometimes I find that this kind of encroaches into my dressing as well. I have always been that person who, this is us being real right now, okay? I've always been that person who struggles with um, dressing modestly. I try to strike that balance between being modestly dressed and also being fashionably dressed. And if you're someone who is, not interested in drab fashion, <laughs> you might share that struggle because it's almost like each time you, you know, you type in the search bar for modest styles, the only things you're seeing are things, you know, with hijab, hijabi women wearing them or very drab, I don't know, outfits that you wouldn't even want to wear or even poke with a stick, right? So I tend to struggle with that. And we all know that modesty is an essential part of purity. And if you're not being, if you're not able to dress modestly, not just when you go out, but actually when you're indoors, it would be harder to take care of the more, I don't know, intense struggles of purity. So I find that this one is my basic daily struggle, you know, and um, I don't want to bore you with the details of how I try to fight that, but you know, the summary of it all is that I asked myself, would I actually be able to wear this to mass? Would I be able to wear this to, 
I don't know, to heaven if I die. <laughs> so I hope that helps. Um, but yeah, that's just how I struggle. And that's how I try to manage that struggle. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kaka, for sharing that. Lovely. So I'm going to move on now to Benita and Kilichi. Now, you've dated for over four years, right? You've been out together. You've attended parties together, um, you know, weddings, social functions, whatever, right? You know, you've gone dancing together, maybe, until early hours of the morning, maybe. I don't know. I'm just now projecting my imagination. But for four years, it's been four years. And I think what we all want to know, honestly, is... How have you managed to live purity as a couple while still building intimacy and growing love um, with one another on this journey? Okay, so I'll, I'll start and say how, you know, you know the way the band says that don't get it twisted, love is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, um, yes, really and truly, we've now come to see and understand it's better that, yes, love is a beautiful thing. And, in, and if we're trying to live, um, in trying to live love, we don't want to hurt each other. I don't want to hurt Kelechi. He doesn't want to hurt me as well. And um, so our love is, is kind. Our love is, is now patient, is now making more sacrifices, is not... Um, it's not self-seeking. So we we try to, yes, enjoy ourselves, but as much as possible, we're not being selfish with um, our love. And in that, um, we've now seen how, you know, purity is very, is very much tied to love. Um, you can't really, purity comes from love. And who is the author of this purity is God. In the Bible, it says how God is love. So firstly, I would just say how we, this is four years, and I can tell you for a fact that it hasn't been, we have gone, we've, we've had to progress to get to this state that we're in. We did not start out um, having everything perfect. We have fallen sometimes. And because of our weaknesses, our disordered desires, and circumstances that we've really placed ourselves in, if we want to be <laughs> true to um, to ourselves. Um, and but the thing is, we've we've managed to communicate about it. If things did not go how we wanted them to go, uh, based on what um, purity is, that is leaving this cleanliness. Um, if the things did not go the way we wanted it to go, we spoke about it, we asked ourselves, you know, how am I making you feel? Am I doing something that is not um, allowing you to live purity? Are you doing, it's like there's something that you're doing that is not allowing me to equally um, live this purity, maybe in something that was said or how, because I'm, I'm a very, um, my, my love language, one of my love languages is touch. So, and it's also, um, it's also words of affirmation. So is this something that was said? Is, this so, is it the way maybe I was touched that's led to um, an occasion of sin? And we looked at it and said, you know what? Maybe we need to work on these um, areas. And so we've removed ourselves many times. We've managed to remove ourselves many times from those occasions. I think Kirechi wanted to Yeah, add. so uh, I'll, I'll give a practical example. One of the times we struggled, uh, I can tell you, yes, the guilt of um, not leaving purity was there, but what um, 
the heavier guilt I felt was how I made her struggle with her quest to leave purity and that guilt. I didn't, I never wanted to feel that way again. So it's been one of the driving factors. And I think it also comes from love, love being selfless. You want the best for your partner. So it's also helped. Uh, and also I would say intimacy, right? Um, many people have this um, perception that intimacy always has to be physical, but uh, intimacy comes in different aspects. There's the mental aspect of intimacy. There's the emotional aspect. There's the spiritual, right? And then there's the physical. Uh, I would say the spiritual, because we live our Christian faith, drives the physical. So other than the physical intimacy, there are also other ways to be intimate and grow intimacy. And we've also um, focused on that over the four years. It's been a struggle, struggle down, but we keep improving and getting better. So. Thank you. Thank you so much guys for being so honest and so open. And I really like, as you said, hey, you want the good of the other person. And that's what sort of drives you, um, both of you, you know, making sure that, hey, God is love and you want to share that love with the other one. Fantastic. I'm going to move on to Jocien now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, and we're just uh, thinking and saying you live in a society and we live in the UK and it's a society where there's a lot of permissiveness and a lot of freedom. Right. Um, and it's not always positive freedom, isn't it? Um, and, you know, maybe just as an introduction, just tell us how your journey has been living as an associate and maybe just introduce to us a little also what an associate um, living as an associate actually means. So, uh, as you said, uh, um... Um, um, yes, you can hear me, right? So yeah, I, I am a, a, an associate and I'm living currently in London. An associate is um, a member of Opus Dei, living celibacy, but living um, in their own places. So really like um, could be completely on their own or with the family, etc. cetera. But, uh, but yes, living celibacy in the middle of the world, that, that's really is a, is a core of the vocation. And, uh, and living celibacy, but what, what um, characterizes, I would say, the celibacy is apostolic celibacy. It means that we are not just living celibacy for the sake of living celibacy, but because then we are, um, first of all, it is a gift from God to be able to live celibacy. And also, um, because it is a gift, God gives you the graces to be able to, to live that way. And, uh, and yes, apostolic celibacy to be able to also to dedicate yourself to, uh, to people, to your friends, your family, and to, and to help people get uh, closer to God. Um, so I've been uh, uh, in Opusia as, as, uh, as an associate for almost 10 years now. And, um, and what, what my vocation helped me a lot to be able to do that because uh, because it's not easy, uh, vocation to Opuse is to be sent in the middle of the world. And uh, as you said, this world is going that we don't really know where. Uh, but yeah, we do know because God is control of the world. Um, but yeah, it could be really challenging uh, because of the, the wave of uh, pornography or whatever uh, around. But like I said, my vocation has helped me a lot because uh, because we, you have basic way of, of uh, being in the world that will help you and prevent you from putting yourself, from putting yourself in, in danger, basically. So it's about how you live prudence, uh, how you make sure that uh, you don't get 
you know, practical example, you go and get in a car with a gentleman, you know, being uh, uh, at the front, you know, rather sitting at the back, this kind of thing, really like a small uh, practical things that really uh, help you to, uh, to, to keep that, I would say. And of course, prayer being the key, um, the key aspect of, uh, of a life uh, living simplicity because, uh, because you've given your, your heart to, uh, to God and God fills your heart and you need to make sure that God really is the one who fills your heart. Otherwise you, you cannot, uh, you cannot uh, be faithful. So that's really important. Oh, thank you so much, Josiane, for sharing that. I love that. Making sure God fills your heart. If not, you will not be faithful. That's so beautiful. Thank you. And Adara, I'm going to come right to you. Uh, you know, I mean, you're an African woman. Yeah, the cultural pressure that comes from, um, you know, associated, that, associated with getting married or being married while living a fulfilling life in the middle of the world. Okay, thank you. Now I got the question. In fact, I thought it was my network that was the problem because I'm in, a, in a, I mean, I'm outside my post, my usual location. So I'm a bit worried that the network will not be so good. But anyway, I'm hopeful. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you for the question. Um, it's a very cogent one because it's one I've had to battle with. It's true that very part of our culture, and it's a beautiful culture, really, values marriage and family and children. And um, I think it's wonderful. The only thing is that, as you rightly mentioned, Nigeria and Africa, we don't have the, well, it's not been frequent to find what we, we call lay celibacy, which will, I'll explain in a little bit, even though Justin has talked about it. But we do have people who, because of a certain calling, because, yeah, realize that their path is not marriage, is not to have an ordinary family, because I would not say it's not to have a family, because we do have a family, and we do have, you can say, we do express and fulfill our maternity. I also explain that, but it's not in the usual way. It's not in the biological way. And that is something that is quite surprising for many. I would say it was surprising for me. It's not that I grew up thinking, oh, I'd love to just find out that God has called me to be a, a celebrated member of Opus Day all my life. No, it was something that I discovered um, just about 18. And um, it's really a calling. It's a calling because the initiative is God's. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't something I had thought of. I dreamt of marriage and family like everyone else. But the initiative comes from God. So in a way, he has made you for that for the entirety of your life. And he also puts different circumstances in your way. It's like they're like coincidences, but they are not. It's divine providence that makes it possible for you to somehow discover that he's planned this all along. And then he, he asks you, not directly, not through a voice, you know, nothing strange, nothing extraordinary, but somehow in the depths of your heart, there's like, there are inklings that God is asking you for a little more. He's asking you to give him body, soul, heart, mind, life, totally. The same way as Benita has given to Kelechi and Kelechi to Benita or um, Kaka to her husband and all the other married people, but to their husbands, and obviously to God too, but through their husbands, he's asked me and all the other celibate members of Opus Day and many other institutions where there are celibate members and their vocations to that. He's asked us for everything, body, soul, mind, heart, life. 
and then you discover it gradually. It's a stepwise, you know, stepwise growth in the in the discovery, and it's beautiful and fulfilling, as you said, because you do discover you have a family. For the numerary members of Opus Day, we tend to live in centers, though not all of us, and we do form our families there also with everyone who is in Opus Day, the large family of Opus Day. And we do express our maternity, I said earlier, because we're interested in everyone, in every single person. We're interested in their happiness. We're interested that they discover God's love for them. We're interested that they live uprightly because they will live happily. And that, in a way, you begin to engender children of your soul in that sense. People who, you, you, who help you and you help them, who you have a mutual relationship with, and then you grow like that. Let me just say, let me just leave it at that. That it's a, a totality that we give to God, and I'm happy that I've done that. But it's not easy because the natural, the cultural thing is that you're called to marriage. And people were like, why would you decide this? But I decided it because God decided it first. <laughs> okay, yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Adora. That was such a, a beautiful introduction. You know, and I, like I said, it's really a gift from God at the end of the day. And, you know, and I just like how you just made it, you know, you made it very nice and cheerful, honestly. You made it sound very cheerful. <laughs> I'm very positive and uplifting. I know it is, but, you know, it, 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 it comes across in how, you, in how you made it sound. So fantastic. Thank you. All right. So I'm moving on to Olisa, who is, I mean, obviously, I was going to say last, but definitely not the least. Um, and Olisa, um just gonna spotlight you now okay fantastic so you know just thinking about it you know um, and when we're thinking we're thinking okay he says young he's um he's a gentleman i mean you know you're rather good looking right you can speak well and you're talking about living purity um do you think i think question was do you think you're an outlier do you think there are many more people like you or many more gentlemen like you? Do you also feel like giving us the names and addresses to these other gentlemen? We will accept it with joy. <laughs> but, um, you know, seriously, though, how do you thrive um, in this hypersexualized world as a single man living your values and living uh, this life that you've sort of chosen? And is there peer pressure from your friends or even from girls you may have dated in the past? Wow. Thank you for, first of all, thank you for having me. And um, where do I start with this question? It's a heavily loaded question. I don't know about the good looking part, but yeah. Um, in terms of living puri holy purity as a single unmarried man, it is tough. It's very, it's very difficult. Um, but like one of the last speakers said, Adora, um, it, it is a calling from God. You can't just um, follow the crowd as in whatever. I know we have many people who are of other faiths. So let's, I wouldn't want to base my experience solely on being a Christian. But yes, being a Christian helped. But other faiths also help. Other values also help play the plays a part because purity um being celibate even though you're not married it's uh as a lawyer it's your civic responsibility you wouldn't want to go around um messing about and having affairs all over one, one reputation wise and also it 
it would be bad for your name and those are these are some of the factors you look after then also the responsibility of taking care of children when you hear the stories of affairs due to this, it's it's also a lack of self-control which our society has sort of exploded and just kept one part aside and just focused on one part it's i feel the lack of self-control because if you actually love somebody you would want to go the proper route and you know get married and have children responsibly but if you're single and you're hopping from one place to another you tend to have that um, lack of respect as well as the responsibilities that go with it so it's a double-edged sword it, it depends on what you want i want to go the proper way have do the proper thing with the grace of god as well so but yeah basically that's it thank you so much elisa thank you for sharing that with us yeah about self-control and you know just doing things the proper way again from your own um, faith and the fact that you know you're 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 a christian which is amazing okay fantastic so we're going to go right into the q and a and we've already started but we have a whole list of questions some that were sent in um as well from everyone um and we're going to just be asking our speakers this questions like i said earlier if you have a question for any of the speakers please just send me a private message to any of the godams and I will, I will ask your question on your behalf. Or if you want to ask your question by yourself, just raise your hand. I will get to you, mute you, and then you can ask your question um, directly. Okay, so I'm moving straight to Kaka. Mm -hmm. Now, Kaka, um, what are some of the struggles that you face um, in terms of avoiding objectifying your spouse in marriage? Now, you know how it's said that you should see right? Not just as someone that's there to satisfy your needs or whatever it is, right? Um, and because sometimes of how marriage has been positioned as the antidote to, um, you know, to a funny life, right? If you're struggling, just marry. Once you marry, it's okay. So how do you, what are some of the things, how do you avoid rather occasions of objectifying your spouse? What are some of the tips you can give us as to how you can look at your spouse as a complete whole human being? who's there for total love. Okay, um, <laughs> you're absolutely right to start with, honestly. Um, when I just want to give a little background before I answer your question. While I was dating my husband, it was such a struggle. I can totally relate to Benita and her fiance. Like, it was such a struggle. It was so bad that I had to actually look for external support because I couldn't really find that support just within myself. So I felt like I needed like a wall, uh, a wall of, I don't know, like-minded people who are also struggling with leaving this virtue. So I recruited a few of my sisters and friends, and then we started a group where we kind of helped each other and you know, spoke to each other and had other people come in to speak to us. So it was really helpful. But I would say that I still had 
a problem that I didn't recognize at the time, obviously, because I just kept waiting for my wedding. Do you understand? Like, <laughs> I was counting down the clock because as far as I was concerned, okay, you know what? Like after we get married, yeah, this is over. I didn't know. <laughs> partly my fault. I didn't know that, you know, the extent that you should leave purity in marriage is, is also a struggle, you know? So a lot of people on the outside look at marriage as the end goal. Okay. When I get married, I stop leaving this type of purity and I'm pretty sure it will be easy from then, but it's not. And then this question is one of them because it has to do with your external senses, right? It has to do with, you know, the things that you look at, the way that I look at my spouse. Um, I'm, I'm going to get real. I'm, I mean, it's called real talk, right? So I'm going to give you practical things that I actually try to do because I find that it helps me. And I'm not going to give a, I'm not going to mince my words. I find that giving my husband privacy when his changing or when he needs his privacy it could be anything you know I, I don't know I find that it helps me have that respect for him for his person for his dignity that you know it kind of cautions me so that when I start to feel like okay you know what start having those thoughts that lean more towards the object objectification side of things those i don't know those cautions you know serve to protect my mind they, um, they serve to protect my thoughts so that's one giving him privacy when he needs it another thing is i try to guard my ears well the rest of my senses i already mentioned my eyes but that's actually just in relation with my husband there are other ways i guard my eyes as well I try to be very careful about the kind of things I watch. I tend to, I've noticed that when I watch movies that have a lot of sex scenes um, or even movies that hint towards a sex scene, even if you don't end up watching the sex scene, it just kind of, I don't know, starts putting thoughts in your head. And obviously if there's a man living with you, ah, you just transfer everything to him. So it's not wrong to feel the passion towards your husband, but it is, that passion has to come in a wholesome way. If you're only feeling that passion because you are feeling lost at that point, because you are, you have a craving that you just want to physically satisfy, then that's where you're wrong. Okay. So I try to tell myself these things. So I guard my eyes. Then I also guard what I listen to. And I'm just, I'm saying this from my own um, perspective, but I, I find that my husband actually has started doing the same. I'm married to a man who has, who has had no opportunity to, to, um, to have what we are all having here, like these kinds of conversations, seminars, um, means of formation that educate us and inform us on these things. So all his exposure to these things have come from me. 
And I'm very grateful to God for having given me the grace that he gave me because if it was me before, <laughs> we would have both been lost. So um, I find that he actually has started doing the same. He He's more careful about the kind of movies he watches, kind of music he listens to, you know? I mean, everybody's listening to music and I'll give you an example. Artists like The Weeknd, I don't think I've ever heard The Weeknd sing about any other thing apart from um, sex and not the not sex in the pure sense of it. So we tend to try to avoid these things that would trigger um, these um, objectifications, even music that use some sort of vulgar words to describe women or men or parts of women's bodies or parts of men's bodies, just that we just tend to avoid them. And I find that this me, and it's the most practical tip that I can give. The, the even more important one is prayer because you can struggle all you struggle, all you can struggle and your human limitations will always come in the way. But if you ask for God's grace, it kind of, um, not kind of, it absolutely adds a million, I don't know, strength <laughs> to your struggle and helps you struggle even more. I hope that answers the question. That does answer the question. Thank you so much, Kaka, for sharing so openly and for the practical, really, really practical tips that you gave as well. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, I'm seeing the questions coming in. Thank you. I'm going to be asking. Um, I'm going to be asking as we're as we're going along. Fantastic. I'm going to move on to Benita and Kelechi now. And um, the question here, the very first question that has come up is, what qualities stood out? So to Kelechi, what qualities stood out about Benita that made you decide to well first stick to uh, you know continue dating for four years and then propose to her. And then for Benita, it's what qualities about Kelechi made you agree to date him and um, as well as agree to marry him? Okay, so the first is how honest she can be blunt at times, very annoying sometimes. Well, if you have an open mind and you always want to learn, then you'd see the truth in what she's saying. Uh, second one, um, value, was, it was her being supportive. She, she naturally wants the best, everyone to be at their best, hit their full potential, and she's very supportive. So that was one other quality I saw in her. A third, I would say, was she's very peaceful, um, especially when we had um, disagreements. It's amazing how she always wants to get past every disagreement or fight or quarrel. Um, I tell you practically, you have a clock. A fighting clock. So once it gets to that time, we know we just have, have to stop and, and make peace. So she's very peaceful. And then I'm, sorry, all... I'm sorry to 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 but yeah. please we obviously you can't just give us this half and stop. You have to tell us a bit more about this fighting clock. So, so <laughs> practically it doesn't go beyond 11:59 p.m. You can't go to bed fighting. So I, I don't think I've ever gone to bed having a grudge or having to have a fight in my mind to get ready for the next day. So whatever, whenever I'm angry, once it's 10 o'clock, I say, oh, we have to start making peace now. So it's never, I've never had to go, I've not had to go to bed to angry at her. So 
that fighting clock, it's it's a practical example and it works. It works every time. So that's it, it works. I'd, I'd advise anybody have have a, a, a fighting clock beyond that time. It works. And then she's strong-willed, stubborn. You look at it from another side, but whatever she's um, she believes in, she's very certain about it. And when you push her and ask her questions, she can defend it. So if you're going to learn, you can always learn something from her. Even if I disagree with her, there's always something to pick out about it. And then when it comes to values as well, values on marriage and family, uh, Christian values, we had a lot of similarities and I could see a future with her. And so those are part of the qualities I, I saw. It's amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> Stop blushing, Mama. Just, I'm just, I'm just like, oh my gosh, let's give you a moment to take a, you know, to, I'm sorry, guys, so before you guys came into the room, before we let you come in, while we give anytime moment, you know, we were go doing a run through of, you know, how this afternoon is going to run and just making sure everyone was comfortable. And do you know, Benita and Kelechi were not even paying attention to me. She was just whispering in his ears and he was whispering back in her ears and they were giggling to each other. And the rest of us were just like, what's really going on here, guys? So this is just <laughs> an iceberg. Okay, so we have Benita back. Over to you, Mama. All right. Um, so before, before we started talking, um, actually, we, we started talking on Facebook. <laughs> Let me, so... Facebook might be an area for you to connect to somebody. So you started have you heard Facebook? <laughs> you started talking of Facebook. I mean, we had met um, at a friend's party. And for me, like previously before Kidechi, I really wanted um, someone that respected me, um, even if I had a very silly idea but if the idea was morally okay um he respected that so i i really like the fact that kirichi respected me he respected family as well he genuinely wants what's best for me um he would constantly um ask are you okay and it's not like are you okay or yes or no but like deeply are you okay with how um, things are going maybe with work or with our relationship or with anything. Um, he's also open to learning. Um, he's not, he's, he's open to improving himself. Like he's not stuck in his ways. There's no, I mean, you know how people can be proud and stand firmly on things, but um, he's not stuck in his ways. He's, he can, is open to um, seeing that, you know what's, okay, this thing may actually, there's a better way of doing things and goes in that line. He's very responsible, responsible with family members, with the things that he says to people. He's actually, he respects people. And he, he goes out of his way to um, make me happy. It can be, it's in little things. It's not even in like anything that is big. It can be that he's coming back from work. And I know that we've spoken along the line that he's probably been like tired and he wants to just go home and sleep. But can you stop at maybe a shop, buy something as little as like a drink, something that I'm really craving 
that I've spoken about that day, and he'll bring it back and we'll start talking. I won't see it then, and he'll just point in that direction, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is actually sweet. So um, he's very thoughtful. He's also very hardworking. You know, that's something that's very important for me. I don't know, I'm an evil girl, but so had had it comes with it comes with the territory that um and he's also evil anyways but um maybe from upbringing i am from i've been taught to work very hard professionally in anything that any little thing that's work that is work to had to work um hard in it and he's he's quite um a hard worker he can even defend the work and i really like the way he he defends it. He also wants to do what's God's will. Um, so if um, there's an, I don't know, there's no understanding of what the will of God is at the time, it was very easy for us to start praying together. I I don't know if it's something that I had thought about, like when we started the relationship, but I just thought about it and I'm like, prayed. I prayed about it. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it would be nice for us to start praying. And I and I spoke to him about it, and it wasn't even a question. He said, okay, let's start. It's nice. Some days you may have missed it. Sometimes we um, I don't know, pushed and it fell into another day, but we've been keeping at it. We actually, he's actually serious to um be pray, be praying with me regularly. I mean, these are the things. It wasn't, I think, from the very first um yeah, we started dating. I don't know, I wanted to marry him. <laughs> I, would have, I would have prepared that it happened that first year, but I think that God wanted us to see a couple of things about ourselves that um, we have now learned more about. And yeah, this is now the year for us. I love it. Gosh, everybody's just like, oh, oh, in the comment section, it's like reading one of these um, fancy books, you know. They've been dating for four years, Jennifer right? Jennifer was asking, how long have you been dating? So they've been dating for four years, yes, and they got engaged a couple of weeks ago. Fantastic. I mean, such a beautiful story. I was, we we're just all reading how both of you were, you know, this one's compliments, this one, we've all, the, we've all taken the notes of things to look out for, don't worry. Thank you. <laughs> all right, fantastic. So Justine, I'm coming right to you. And, you know, we know, just bearing in mind, not even just, I was, I was about to say your, the environment you live in, but it's no longer just the environment you live in. It's even here in Africa, everywhere. You know, there's a wave of such pornographic and overly sexual content everywhere we look. I'm in marketing personally. And I know that, you know, even if we want to sell this pen, yeah, there's, you know, a woman who's lying over here with her hair like this and whatever. So there's just this wave of overly sexual content everywhere we look. And I think my question is, how can we, in our own little way, take a stance against this tide? Because sometimes it just seems as if, you know, it's so much that there's nothing we can really do to stem the flood or to stem the tide. What tips can you give us in our own way to just take a stance against it? I think um, my, the first part of my answer would be these kind of initiatives, they are really great because, uh, because you bring people together to discuss a key topic, to be honest, because it affects us all. And uh, in some way, you know, we are struggling, how do we deal with it and how do we really uh, find an answer or navigate our way around that. And, and I think um, 
chastity for us, I would say spontaneously is a response. And chastity to be given, to be, to be lived as a gift to society. Um, why do I say that? Because first of all, it's at the reach of everyone. So you, you, you and I, we, we can, uh, as we've been discussing, it won't be easy, it's not easy, but it's something that a way of life that we can try to live and develop. It is a gift to society because it helps us to show that it is possible and that is an answer. An answer in the sense that we, by our way of living, our effort, we show that there is something else, you know, not to just our, let ourselves be, be swamped by that flood and, uh, and to regain our freedom because what is at stake actually is our freedom. Freedom not to succumb to what they, you know, attempt to, to our personality, to our identity as human being, because that's what at the end of the day is important. We are human beings made in the image of likeness of God. We have a dignity. We have been gifted with an astonishing gift of intelligence, with will, with our freedom. So what do we do with it? What do we do with, with all those things? And, and for us to live chastity today is, is that really like a gift to, to say to a society, we are human beings, we are not animals, and, uh, and we want to regain that identity. Thank you so much, Josiane. I love that we're human beings, we're not animals. And you know, yeah, we can make that chastity a gift of um, a gift of God. You know, I'm not going to be able to read this um, um, glory. So you might have to send me something um, that I can actually read, please. Thank you. Okay, so um, fantastic. Thank you, Jessian, for that. At least I'm coming to you. Now, the question or the first question that's coming your way is um, around challenges that single people so there's a lot there a lot of challenges I mean there's things like okay there's fornication there's living together you know before getting married or while considering marriage there's pornography there's masturbation there's just all of this type of stuff that's almost normal nowadays in our society um, and the question is what's your advice as a single guy on avoiding this you're avoiding these types of situations or these type of temptations. What's your practical advice for yeah, living chastity in, in these times? Uh, thank you for that question. That, that is a really tough one, but um, uh, I would go back to my opening statement, responsibility. Um, personally, I would say um, in handling these challenges, I would say, would I want um, would I want my children doing the same thing? Think of it five years down the line, ten years down the line. Would I want my own kids to be doing this, to be having dealing with such because i would eventually be a parent would i want them to do such no i wouldn't so therefore i shouldn't be doing it yes the demands are there and quite it's quite a challenge not to but there's um something a friend of mine told me that um don't you have to be accountable to yourself and nobody else 
So do, do things that if you are questioned, you can say, yes, I didn't do it because of X, Y, Z, or this, this is my reasoning. And, and then families, we say that, yes, a lot of times we have um, families saying, don't do what, mommy will not be happy with you, mommy will not be happy with you. Looking back, sometimes they are a bit harsh, but it is the fact. No parent would want to see their child do engage in these sort of things. It would be a, shame, a big shame to the family, but it's happening and it's become, it has become a culture to engage in such acts. So it's just, that's how I look at it. So I hope that answers the question. That actually does help. Thank you very much, Elisa. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm moving on to Adora. Adora, are you still here? Okay. Oh, Angel. <laughs> All right, so Adora, the question, the question for you is, how do you manage relationships with the opposite sex to maintain purity and stay true to your vocation? Or even, not even, maybe not necessarily new friends, but even old friends that you knew before you became a numeri. How do you manage those relationships? Could you share practical tips with us? Thank you, Bodam. I'm hoping I can be heard again <laughs> because it's raining heavily here. Okay, thank you for the question. Yeah, um, how do I manage relationships with the opposite sex? Um, I would first of all say that I think this has evolved, you know, over time. I have learned how to manage some better than others. I've, of course, I went to a, a mixed secondary school, so I already had friends, you know, male friends from secondary school, of course, university. And then um, I think my closest friendships in that sense have been forged when I was doing my residency in UCH, the doctors I have worked with, because it's quite an intense period of working together or with, of a team. So you really have, you, have you, you, you learn to depend on one another. And I value those friendships. But I'll say that I use the word friendships in a way, I would almost say loosely, but though they are friends, but I think that over time, I have learned to, to somehow maintain a professional distance, what I'll call a professional distance, even though, um, even though it can, it's friendly. That distance is because that I don't, with, because I value the gift of celibacy I have, like I said before, and I know that I'm right here in the middle of the world, in a world, as you said, that somehow because of the hypersexualized society we live in, a man and a woman who have a close friendship, somehow there, there could, a sexual attraction could evolve. And I don't even want that to start. I think my, what I have developed over time is not to even get to a stage when I have to now be explained that, you know, I'm sorry, I'm actually not available. And maybe I gave wrong vibes, you know, that has happened in the past when I was younger and I just didn't realize. And then I have to start trying to break off something that I didn't know I was entering. But now, you know, first off, there are certain things I don't share. Um, I don't, when I need a, a shoulder to cry on, or even if it's work, even if it's something I need to share that I, I feel very stressed about, 
I don't go and share that with my male colleague, no matter how, how close he is, you know, but there are things to talk about. That, that's why I mean friendly, because we do share about work, but it's not that I need, you know, I need someone, to, I need someone to give me support, I need consolation, I need someone to show me that I'm valued, whatever, and I turn to him. Then I know that I'm leaving a door open. I have tried to take care of that, what I call the professional distance, in which there are friendly professional relations, but not deep friendships, because that can be a basis for other things. And then um, what, what other things? Oh, I will, of course, also involves the chats and the messages, because um, I'm also careful about I'm, all, I'm, you know, some over time. That's why I keep talking about evolution because I think I've learned a, a few things from making mistakes in the past. And over time, I can really detect when a conversation is not, even though it's just started, but the interest is not quite what I'm looking for. Then I'm going to already break it off nicely. I don't do any strange stuff now. Maybe before, like, ah, oh, sorry, I can't talk to you. I gave you my number. No, I'm like, oh, you know. It's just there's no there's no real reason to give my number right now, no, because I can you know we can talk in the team and all that. So I mean these are not many examples, but these are some. I just try to to maintain that uh, professionalism and friendly professionalism. Um, what's your advice on building? or maintaining self-control in marriage, especially, now the thing is, especially if you've waited for so long and the person actually puts many O's behind the S, you know, like if you've waited for so long before you've got married and now you're married and it's like, how do you live purity? How do you um, build self-control in marriage? And how do you stay more on self-gifting and avoiding lust? Okay, um, that's a lot of questions in one, so I'll try to answer them one after the other. Uh, I'm going to start with the one of how do you, um, you know, try to leave purity after waiting for so long. And I would say that, I don't know, I think that one of the things that has helped me a lot is what I like to refer to as the practice run that we had while we were dating. And I found it really surprising because I had always thought that, okay, the fact that you lived purity while you guys were courting or dating and you didn't, you know, you just put up all those boundaries of love <laughs> um, and cautions in place would mean that you cannot wait till you're married so you could just destroy them and get on with it. But it's actually the other way around. Having that self-control or trying to practice that self-control self while you're dating is very key for actually leaving purity while you're married. I don't know how else to put it, but I don't know the logic be behind it. The only thing I can say is that you have realized that it's not the end of the world, that if you waited for so long, <laughs> you can wait through anything, you know, because there'll be times in your marriage when you cannot just go at it like rabbits. I'm just trying to keep it real, honestly, um, because of so many things. So during those periods, the experience that you had while you were courting will just 
come to you like second nature. So that's the first one. So I encourage all those who are not married right now for, you know, to actually think of their future marriages and try to, if anything, just for their future marriages to try to leave purity right now while they're dating. The second point that I would want to make is that saying no to yourself actually helps you a lot because if you're used to giving into your every whim and every uh, I don't know craving even in other I don't know well with other cravings other senses you know you want to watch a movie and this is what you want to do it's what you feel like doing even though you have other things to do and you just give into that um, whim if you're not able to resist and tell yourself no at that point, then it would be difficult for you to say no to yourself in other big things. So I think it's important to learn to say no to yourself. Just have practice sessions. It could be in little things. It could be in, oh, it's hot and I really am thirsty. I want to have a drink. But instead of Coca-Cola, let me just have water instead. And then you decide to go a step further. Or instead of cold water, let me have lukewarm um, or room temperature water instead. Yes, it, you can even turn it into some sort of mortification because these things help you eventually. I would also go a bit deeper um, and talk about something that I learned while we were, you know, remember when I talked about the wall of sisterhood that I, I, I surrounded myself with while I was creating my husband. We had a talk by someone and the discussion was on consonance. And um, we've all heard about abstinence, which is, you know, abstaining from sex before marriage. There's also consonance, which is abstaining from sex while married for very good reasons. So those periods could be for different things. It could be because you're praying, it could be during Lent, it could be during, you know, some very critical points in time that you just need to mortify yourself for some intention or for something else, whatever your reason could be. So I think it's healthy for, for couples to explore this option to, you know, practice consonance once in a while in their marriage because it helps you to explore other, um, other means of intimacy, other forms of intimacy in your marriage. Because a lot of the time you could find that um, couples stop making efforts with each other, you know, with regards to intimacy, they just leave it to, you know, the bedroom. And then it becomes difficult for them when there is a reason why you can have sex. For instance, maybe after, the lady just had a baby, I'm talking from experience, you just had a baby and then you're healing from that entire process. If you're married to a man who has no self-control or who has not had any practice for self-control, it will be very difficult for him and it could create resentment. But if you're a couple that, you know, over time practice this um, act of consonance, it could help you through those periods. You could also come together to, you know, have a Lenten mortification that you do, you know, but the only key thing is to try not, don't use it as a weapon, right, to deny your spouse of that conjugal expression of your love. So consonance is another thing. Um, I think the other end of the question was how to practice purity in marriage. Um, and I would say that 
sorry, Kaka, just to, as you're answering this question, because a couple of people have asked while you were speaking. So I'm just going to okay. throw this, you can also um, tie it in. And they're asking of what does purity in marriage actually even mean to start the question. And it's causing a lot of confusion in my DM. So as you're answering how to put purity in this marriage, because like, the people are like, eh, we've been living purity before. You're not even speaking about purity after. Are you joking? What does it mean? So maybe try and explain to us a little what this purity in marriage is, and then you can go on to say, how can we live it? Okay. Um, I don't blame anybody who is that confused because I was extremely confused as well. I, I think I'd said it before. Um, I was hella confused. So I have come to understand, I'm just going to summarize it in my own words. After a series of spiritual direction and a lot of fighting with the priest <laughs> and with, you know, my friends who have a lot more formation than I have and who are able to counsel me in this department, <laughs> I have come to understand and own, because it's different, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different thing understanding and not owning it, but I've come to understand and own that purity in marriage is essentially living marriage the way that God intended and using sex the way that God intended it to be used in marriage, okay? So, in order to do this, it means that you have to cut out anything that would um, change your course, that would make you to, you know, change direction from leaving, you know, your marital life the way God intended you to live it and then using sex the way that God intended you to use it. So let me just break these down very quickly. Sex is a tool, okay? It's a holy tool. <laughs> Your spouse is not a tool. Sex itself is the tool. It is a holy tool that God had intended in marriage for two things, to be an expression of the conjugal love that a man and a woman in marriage have for one another. And in expressing that love with sex, they increase their intimacy. Then secondly, it is, or even more importantly, it is the means by which we actually, um, co-create with God. He, he has intended that we carry on his creation using this tool. And he could have chosen another way, but he chose sex as the way because he wanted us to enjoy it while, you know, actually doing the work of creating life with him. Because I'm going to tell you now, creating life with him is not fun, you know? <laughs> so, but he made the process fun so that you won't be so worried about what comes after that when the baby comes. But yeah, um, I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, so yes, so when you have, when you have that picture and have owned that picture of what sex is, then you try to leave and use sex in the way that God intended it. Um, to be used. So that means that at each time when you are coming together, you know, with your husband as man and wife to express that conjugal love, either or of those two intentions must be there. Okay. So you are engaging in that act because you want to express your love. And then in fact, the two those two reasons need to be there at the same time, but in varying degrees. So you could be expressing that love either with the intention of um, um, bringing in life, or you could be um, uh, carrying out that act 
but with the intention of being open to life. So you're open to life coming from it. So if at any point in time, one of those intentions is not present, then you shouldn't be having sex. So let me use another example. Or let me use the example of someone who just had a baby. You just put your body... I'm talking to the ladies now. You just put your body through a lot of stress and um, you're not ready to, your body is actually not ready to take in again for, I don't know, it depends on everybody's, everybody's bodies um, differ. So it depends on your own body. But let's say your body is not yet ready to take in, you're not done healing um, and your husband wants to have sex or you suddenly want to have sex. You know that you're, you, you're not ready to take in. So once that intention is there or is missing, the intention of being open to life or the intention of, um, well, yeah, I'm talking about the intention of being open to life right now. Once that intention is missing, then you are having sex for the wrong reasons. And in that case, you're not leaving that purity in your marriage because it would lead you to, you know, consider other options that are against those two intentions that God, um, intended sex to be for okay so you're going to be um considering contraceptives different forms of contraceptives even the ones that you know don't need any i don't know any tools to carry them out right um so once that intention is missing the purity in that sex is out of the window okay so and this is even when it comes to the act itself. There are other things that you need to do on a day-to-day -day that would help you leave purity in marriage. For instance, when we talked about how to, you know, stay from objectifying your spouse, if you are steadily objectifying the man that you live with or the woman that you live with, then already you have, you would have a lot of lustful thoughts in your head and it would keep you from, you know, being, living purity, even, um, in terms of carrying out regular acts of the day, you're doing your prayer and then in your mind, you're, you know, having flashes of <laughs> the things you want to do to your spouse when you get home, or you're in a meeting and you're fantasizing, you know, and daydreaming and all whatnot. You are basically objectifying and lost, um, losting after your spouse, and you're not thinking of them in a wholesome way. And in that, at that point, you're not leaving purity in your marriage. And then the truth is, once you, once you start straying from leaving purity in your marriage, you also start straying from leaving purity in general. And then before you know it, you're, you, you, know, you begin to be um, unfaithful in little things, which could also even manifest in bigger things like adultery and the rest of them. But that's a much, it's a very different question. So um, I would say that it's important to leave purity in your marriage. And I think that, you know, I answered the question of what purity is and how I leave purity in my marriage um, altogether. I hope that I answered it because I think I've run out. <laughs> I know a number of people are still shocked and maybe we're going to have to bring this on as a completely separate, um, you know, topic because I'm seeing the women here are like what I need to examine my conscience again before, you know, I'm intimate with my husband, what you're talking about. So, you know, we might actually need to have a completely separate session of um, you know, so a separate session on on this, you know, in terms of purity when it comes to marriage, and and that's 
food. We've taken a note of that, and we will we will do we will do that in due course. So Benita and Kilichi, I'm coming to you because there's some questions I've seen in the comments that I think would be great for you to address, and it's two in one, or I'm going to ask them as two in one. The first part of the question is most people of the notion that you need to date for a long time. What do you think? Is this necessary? I mean, you, you dated for four years. Do you think, you know, you have done this quicker or, um, you know, yeah, if you had the opportunity looking back, would you have done it in a year or two years or whatever? I don't know. And then the second part of the question is what's the difference between dating and courtship? Because we hear people throwing around both words. So what do you think is the difference between dating and courtship? Yeah. Very simple question. Okay, so uh, I think I'll, I'll just uh, go for the first question um, around um, duration um, for dating. I'd say it's relative. I, I wouldn't um, put a specific um, timeline to it, but yes, it's not advisable to get married after the first day of meeting a person, right? Give some time um, to try to know uh, and learn um, your partner, right? Um, yeah, so, and then there are also other factors, right, that come into dating and then eventually getting into marriage. One it could be family, it could be finances, a lot of things could come in. So it's really relative. There's no, I wouldn't give a specific um, timeline. My, my only advice would be, um, especially when you're about to date somebody, I think know what you want. Um, if you're looking at um, marriage, which, which ideally should be the right thing, know what you're looking out for when it comes to um, marriage and then go in and then start looking out for these things. It will help to actually, um, for one, to realize what they are doing. So, but there's no specific time. I wouldn't give a specific timeline. Okay. We'll talk about that. Okay, so, so um, yeah, so there's no timeline to um, how long you should date or anything like that. I wouldn't also advise you dating for 11 years or 10 years, you know, so, and to differentiate dating from cutting or courtship, dating is may not may or may not end up in marriage, honestly. Um, and it's it's also doesn't even need um, approval from anybody, friends or anything. It can just be like casual hangouts. It's just casual getting to know the other person. Um, which may eventually now lead to courtship. Now, courtship is now the more um, serious thing that is going to end up in marriage, hopefully. So um, courting is, is getting to know the person in a more, in a deeper way, um, the values that they really and truly stand for, leaving it like practically. Um, then it would now involve meeting, trying to introduce this, this um, partner to your friends, your family, um, your friends, your family, people that you hold in high regard. Um, and it's like, it's, it's serious, cutting is serious for us. So in our first year, like I, I would say like before I started um, 
getting to know Kedechi, I, I don't know, maybe from my background, is being get married at a certain age, you know? Um, uh, if maybe from experience with my cousins, sisters, family members, at maybe at 24, you should be married. Some people even at 23, you should be married. And it's almost seen as a taboo that 27, 28, 30, over that, you're not yet, um, you're not yet married. So I, I, came, I came in with, the, um, with that idea that, okay, I want to be married at this particular age. And um, that's how I wanted to, the relationship to go. So from the first um, time that we started talking, I was already asking for genotype, so that <laughs> things like that, so that we're in, in um, the same line and not really, not really seeing love with God's eyes, but seeing love with like human um, feelings of attraction. Okay, yeah, we, we, we get along on these matters, but not maybe looking at it critically in, oh, how do you treat specific situations when something like this comes up, when maybe a quarrel comes up, how do you resolve it? When it comes to um, perception of family members, like what do you think about this particular case? How is this person treating another person? It wasn't, I wasn't looking at it like that. I was looking at it from, you know what? I want to get married at this particular time. And that was how it started. But along the line, I can say for a fact that if, if um, so along the line, really and truly, we, we, it was us saying, okay, so why are we not getting married this year? We've already, we've been talking, we've already, we already know from maybe our experiences in the past that we want, we are dating the people that we want to marry. We're not going into this dating thing for fun and games. So we already know that maybe from the first time it was already um, courtship. But no, it's, there's, there's a, I think that there's a process in life. And there was that phase of dating and just casually just getting to know ourselves, meeting with people that um, are friends, talking about basic things, what's happening in Nigeria, what's not happening in Nigeria, how Nigeria has failed us, how Nigeria has not failed us, what's happening in football. I don't know, just general things like that. And after some time, when I started um, pushing for marriage, we had to now step back and look at the more critical things like, um, okay, can we look at our finances? Can we look at um, how our family, family um, what our families thought about it? I mean, that's also important. I don't, I don't want to um, say that we're raised by a community. So it's also nice to recognize that um, the family is important and their perception of things, even if we may not agree with it sometimes, that is equally important for us to consider. So we had to look at things like that, look at how our relationship was with um, our families, um, how we walked more, more deeper things, what our faith was like, what we thought about. Um, <laughs> 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 
Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, and from that, we we now moved from a part of you know what we've been dating, um, and we've been thinking too much about marriage that maybe we need to step back and see what does God want from us as individuals? How does God actually want us to live this um, uh, relationship? And I don't know, from that point, when we had that discussion, we now started, um, we now started appreciating the times that we spent with each other, the kind of conversations that we've had. Um, how we viewed life in general, work, colleagues, things like that. We, we, so we weren't pushing so much for marriage and being so bothered, could it be today? Could it not be tomorrow? Things like that. We started looking at it with a more positive light and when at God's pace. So um, oh. from last year, from last year, we now- You wish you were, didn't Sorry. Okay, so from last year, we now start saying, you know what, you know what, now we're now going towards marriage and um, it's no longer dating. So this is now courtship. We have to be working towards this goal that we're getting to, such as getting involved in marriage related things. <laughs> you get like seminars, um, helping out, understanding what family was about, what raising children was really about. And yeah, that was how we moved from dating to courtship. I don't know if, I've, if, I've re if we really answered things that you guys wanted to hear, but that's how it has worked for us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Benita and Kedichi. I do think you answered and gave us very practical tips as well. Um, and Benita, maybe we'll come back to it later, but I'm seeing someone is asking how to initiate this conversation as a conversations about marriage because a number of women you know you know our culture we are allowed or rather we are to how do i move myself level okay Sylvia. Uh -oh. um Kim, could you please okay um you know so we're we're taught a number of times uh, when it comes to marriage and all these type of things that you don't initiate anything you know the um guys one that initiate and until he initiates you just be there looking at him and praying for the day of his initiation so <laughs> this is a very a conversation that is very critical how do you initiate and have the conversation around you know marriage that guy we've been dating for a while what's going on please give us some tips so let's be learning okay so okay like i said we started talking from facebook I can tell you for a fact that the initiation already started from that point because I noticed that he sent me a friend request, something like that. And then I noticed that he was having like a conversation with somebody else. So I jumped into the um, situation and liked something. And then, so I, I, I don't know, I have an idea of what I want. Um, and I have an idea of the things that I don't know, that I would like to talk about. So if I think it, I start um, moving in that line to make it happen. So um, I can say that I made the first moving quotes, not really because I just only liked the picture, but in my mind I was thinking, oh, hopefully it would, <laughs> it would end up that he would message me 
back. And that was how it happened. So maybe it has been easy with us. But um, so we've already started out our relationship like that. In, in terms of serious questions I wanted to ask, um, I did not go, I asked direct questions, but I used like examples. Like, do you know that something happened today? And um, this my friend was talking about the last thing about how um, she, she um, doesn't think that she can, she wants to move in with her, I don't know, has, she was moving with her partner and, and all that. And then I'm now like, who would even think about it? And he's like, ah, eh, you want to move in together. Things that if I'm talking, I say how. Yeah. <laughs> they so, want to move in together. Yeah. So she always had the, an indirect way of asking these questions. Right? Uh, maybe it was a bit easier because even before uh, we started dating, uh, I already had the mindset um, that if I was going to go into a relationship, it had to be for the long run, had to be something that would end up in marriage. So maybe in my case, it was that serious. And that's why I always tell people, draw that line between dating and courtship, because if you just say you're going to date, right? Most times it never leads to anything serious. And I'll never be afraid to answer this question. I always tell guys, it will come, right? And my advice to women, some guys may say I'm spoiling things for them, but if he's not willing to answer these questions, it's not serious. That's that's a sad reality. It's tough, it's hard, but that's what it is, right? Sometimes, yeah, going direct maybe it may lead to a fight or something to throw him off, right? She could go sideways like Benita naturally would. So give you examples, and then yeah, if you're a bit attentive, you understand where yeah she's driving towards and yeah, have these conversations, but. Why date if you're not going to um, end up in marriage? If you're just going to date for the sake of, sake of dating, then there's a risk of not living purity. So. Yeah. Oh gosh, thank you so much, guys. This so honestly, you have answered the question in such a lot of detail and quite openly and honestly as well. Thank you so much. Um, Justine, I'm coming to you because there was a question on you know, sort of like radical ways we can, um, I'm just looking for Justine so I can spotlight her. So, you know, there was a question on there around, um, you know, she's heard, she says she lives in New York, the person asking the question, she lives in New York, and, um, you know, there's no way you walk down the street without being assailed on all sides by all sorts of impure and immoral either acts or, or pictures or images or whatever. And she was saying that she's heard a lot of ways where we can practically in, in small ways personally live purity but that what she'd like to hear is a radical way that we can take on society and she was giving instances when the Norwegian team for example refused to wear bikini bottoms and opted for shorts instead um, when they were playing um, you know when they were playing the beach ball or whatever and they were fined heavily for that conviction you know and different things like that she said so do you have any tips on how we can sort of take on society or begin to even think of taking this fight beyond personal to now a corporate broader fight in society? 
Oh, you can't unmute. Um, just, I'm sorry. Cam, I'm gonna need you to help me because I am not. Okay, I've asked you to unmute now. Okay, yes. Um, I would say, in fact, um, living chastity is about really being practical. And uh, so far, we've heard a lot of, you know, practical uh, ways that uh, different people in the different situations uh, have shared with us. So, you know, yes, in a practical way of in our everyday life, I mean, um, talking about myself, how I live uh, that uh, chastity and, uh, and trying to be um, true to my vocation as a woman, for, for example, is to live modesty. Modesty is at the heart of everything for us as women. So it's the way we, we dress and the way we present ourselves that really is for me the, the first step. So it's not about hiding ourselves. It's about expressing the beauty that we have because we are human beings and we are, God, God has gifted us. So it's a matter of really how to celebrate that but at the same time being absolutely modest in the way you, you, you trust that, that's really key. And uh, the way you present yourself to others. Uh, when I, when I um, think about the, work, the workplace, for example, is yes, about how, what do you wear uh, to work and, and how you deal also with, uh, with the other sex. We, we have um, somebody uh, talking about that already, but it's really important so like I said, first of all, modesty. So, you know, uh, how long is your skirt, your, your dress? That's really is important because modesty in the workplace is the first sign of respect that you pay to other people. Um, how low is your top or whatever. So it's really little thing that we need to pay attention to. The second one is in, for me, is in your conversation with your colleagues. Uh, or even in your friends uh, in general. So it's about what do you talk about? Um, how do you subtly um, avoid uh, an embarrassing conversation or inappropriate conversation? You know, how, to, uh, how you, you either ask them politely to, uh, to stop or you just change the conversation really. And uh, in that I have the uh, example of uh, when I started my uh, position in, uh, in the UK, the first region I was, I remember my colleague, they were, I was the, the only uh, woman there. And uh, they started, you know, talking about uh, completely like an indecent uh, topic. And, and they were, uh, you know, by chance, they were by my uh, desk, actually. And the way I kind of tried to avoid that conversation is just to really uh, get back to my laptop, you know, really like a really completely immersed in what I was doing. And through that, they noticed I was completely not interested. And I would say that that was kind of my buying, my, um, how to say, um, my importance, first of all, and my credibility, you know, because uh, those type of, uh, decisions, little decision could appear, help us really to kind of um, make a name for ourselves in the workplace. That's really is important. And of course, we already mentioned that a lot is about what we, you know, what we watch uh, basically and, uh, and how we keep our side and also how we help other people because that's also is really important being uh, able to, to tell a colleague that, you know, her, skirt or her uh, dress is too, uh, is too short or, you know, that's also, I think that also we have that responsibility. One thing is for us to live that, uh, to have those practical way that we are living. The other thing is to be able to share it in this type of platform. I already mentioned that, but, you know, 
one by one with our friends, one by one with our colleagues, one by one with you know people around us, and that the, that's the way we, we can we can share with them you know the the way we, we do things and uh, and that could help also. I hope I've answered the question. You have. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, okay, fantastic. So Elisa, I'm coming to you now. So it is a it's actually a three in one kind of question uh, that that's coming yeah. to you. <laughs> you know, so the first one is um, around, so she's asking, she said that, you know, there's a challenge in finding partners who believe in all of this stuff that we're talking about, so who believe in purity and, and all of that. And she's saying that there tends to be a black male uh, midway of the relationship. So the first part of the question, there are two people that asked this question actually, where are these partners that believe in purity? I asked you earlier on, Elisa, to share names and numbers. Now you see yeah. the girls that are really asking. And the second part is, we, we, how we'll do, do you that handle... In the, okay, no problem. The second part is, how do you handle the blackmail of, if you love me and we plan to get married, then this should be okay. You know, like it's gonna, the end goal is the marriage anyway. So if you love me and you know, we're gonna get married, then hey, this is just a way of you showing love to me. How do you handle that? Uh, let me start with the second part. Blackmail, to me, that's already a red flag. Mm. Period, period. Mm. I can't be blackmailing you and you can't be blackmailing me because you want to marry me. No, mm. I'll walk away. Even though I would have invested interest, time, money, everything. I think basically what, what one thing personally, I don't it should with because we're saying a lot of things about um, what's it called formation and all that. We, we should also realize that we deal with people who are not Catholic. And majority of people who are not in the work of Opus Day. So how do you deal with them? Responsibility, which is the key thing. It would be irresponsible of me and anybody, anybody, any girl that I want to say I want to get married to. Uh, I find that she would do a background check. And if it's now seen that um, I have a kid here, I have a kid here, I have a girlfriend here scattered all over the place, forget, um, forget up, let's call a spade a spade. You, you'll find me very responsible if you want to get married to me isn't that the first thing let let's be real here you'd say this guy is very responsible he has children here so if i now get married to him that means i'll be here and there'll be somebody else in the background yeah so i the thing about blackmail i don't buy that personally why are you blackmailing me what what's what's the problem I'm not, if you don't, if, 
you can't put a clause that, sorry, I'm talking from a legal perspective. You can't put a clause to a relationship. If you are blackmailing me, it starts now. Tomorrow, something else will come up. Oh, I did something. It will now become a source of blackmail. Continues and continues and continues. I'm, I don't buy that. I, like Kelechi and Benita said, talk things through. So yes, um, find out, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. But you now blackmailing me? No, I'm sorry, I, I don't buy that. That is already a red, a red flag. On the thing of finding guys, yeah, guys, there are guys plenty, but sorry, you women are not looking in the right place. Um, we, well, I think we're the going GM to house. Well, you people are gonna start DMing your Lisa. She just said guys are plenty. They're gonna be like, you know, um guys see my DM guys, to the point are, up. Can we release a directory? <laughs> guys are guys are available even in church. But because I see a lot of questions. So I had this conversation with my priest and because he was challenging me that guy, why are you not married? What's going on and everything? I said, ah, father, I haven't seen any babes. I said, he pointed, he now pointed masses where there are more girls because he sees everything. There are more girls than guys. And I conducted an experiment and just came and like, yes, there were more girls than guys. But before masses, it, as the priest is leaving, the girls are gone. And then the guys were like, oh, I'm just and talking. So if you really want, apart from prayer and finding and finding a guy and all that, there are guys in church. You just need to be strategic and specific about where you look. Okay. That is my own take. I don't know thank, thank you. Um, thank you so much, Elisa. So ladies, you've heard it too. The first is, the problem is, is your taste very high? Jennifer, please leave that taste matter. Everybody, I mean, taste is it's very... Not, it's not a question of taste. It's um, specific. I don't know. I'm reading what Jennifer is saying. Jennifer said the problem is, is your yeah, taste I'm, very I'm high. I'm replying her. Yes. So I don't no, understand. It's not, it's not, it's... I don't know. I don't get that part of the question. Is she referring to me or? I don't even me. I'm confused yeah, with. I like. Okay, all right, fantastic. Thank you so much, Elisa, for that. Thank you so much for answering that question. I think the final question, because we're going to start wrapping up now. I'm going to throw it to Adora. Um, Adora, are you still there? So I can ask you to mute and spotlight your video. I'm here, I'm here. Fantastic. So this question um, is a, so it's going to be the final question, I think, before we start wrapping things up. And the person says that research shows that about 50%, well, again, I'm quoting directly from what she said. I haven't read the research. But she said research shows that 50% of priests cheat on their vows. And the question she's asking is, if an apostolic celibate, if someone who is living apostolic celibacy struggles with purity, 
would you advise that it's better to drop out and marry or to persevere and try and fight the temptations of you know of porn and masturbation and fornication and all of that um in your opinion oh thank you very much <laughs> that is a loaded question okay um yeah let me start by saying what i said in the beginning that really um, many, many of us who have been called by God to live this celibacy for him, for spiritual reasons, because obviously there are other people who live celibacy for other reasons, right? For professional reasons or for family reasons or because somehow they just never find anyone and they dedicate themselves to something else and they also want to live purely as we've been hearing. So they live celibate lives. But some of us have made a choice because we answered what we perceived as a call from God. We also sought for grace because as someone has rightly said, it's not by our strength. It's not because we felt, whoa, able to face life, you know, without having any sexual relations or any close intimate, you know, conjugal relations forever, no. But I think over and above the normal sexual desires that anyone would have, we perceived a call from God, which was that it also in the same kind of love that will be given in marriage, but even higher, simply because it's what I already said before, it's a direct giving to him of everything, heart, soul, body, and mind, which will be what we will be like in heaven as we read, right, in scripture. So it's true that we, we perceive that calling and um, we, we find we are honored to be called by him. We feel strengthened by his grace, but it doesn't remove the fact that we're normal human beings. I think many times, at least for those who are called in Opus Dei as numerary associates or assistant numeraries, if you don't know what these are, well, uh, Bodam is very happy to explain later, right? Or uh, if there are questions, we could explain. But people who are called, yeah, to, to these celibate vocations really have to have um, an appreciation for the vocation to marriage. Because many of us have the desire to be married, and it's also almost a part of that calling. The fact that you can love and you feel attracted to love and to human love and you've had your you also have seen it in your parents it's beautiful and you want to do the same and then somehow you take it into your spiritual relationship i'm establishing here that we're normal people who have normal attractions who have normal sexual desires i also have a particular interest because of course i'm a doctor you know the biology is there as a philosopher the explanations are there and then also my personal experience so I'll say that that is there. Now, it happens like it happens in every vocation. It happens in marriage. It happens to, to those who have made a commitment to something that somewhere along the line, maybe other, their challenges, their difficulties, um, maybe their specific needs that are not met, and then they begin to think, you know, people also talk about the midlife crisis where you're like, what if I hadn't become a lawyer? What, what if I hadn't married this guy? What if I hadn't, you know, lived it? What if I had just checked out of Nigeria when, when I showed out? You know, you start like the what ifs. And then maybe you start looking, you know, instead of guarding that, that heart and that love, you start looking and thinking, you know, will this also work? So it can happen to anyone. And of course, we've seen it with priests. In the recent past, even though it's a small percentage, when it's focused on like anything, when you put a magnifying glass on that small percentage, it becomes like the great majority, which it isn't. 
but there have been priests who have not been faithful to their vocation. There have been numeraries, there have been other celibate members of other institutions who have not been faithful. There have been married people who have not been faithful. The reasons are diverse, you know, the reasons are, are multiple. But the specific one you gave me about this hypersexualized society, because that's the topic of the, the seminar, right? And you say because maybe there's exposure to, to their struggles with purity, with um, sexual content, with um, handling their sexual desires, and because of that, um, they cheat. Um, how, what, what I would say is that these people, I don't think it's a, a reason for condemnation. I think it's a reason for understanding that you know, we're all flesh and blood and everyone has, can have these desires. And we as a group, not just Christians, Muslims, if we see people like that, we really do, we need to support. Support first with prayers. Because honestly, this path is, is, a, is a supernatural path. <laughs> Means that it's above the natural. We're, we're counting on grace. We're counting on prayers. We're counting on a lot of support from people. So we need to support people. Because what happens is sometimes we start condemning them. Look at this man. Hey, Shabi said he's a priest. Look at how he's eyeing that girl. Why is he living, you know? Or whatever, you know, the pedophiles and all that. So not to condemn, but to yeah. But we also need to point out when there are specific acts that we notice, maybe towards us or to others. Because they also need to be helped, not just with prayers, but even by their superior or by, um, you know, by a psychologist, if it's Because really, and when all we've said, sorry? No, no, please carry on. Okay. All we've said before, all right. All we've said before, I think Kaka mentioned it, and Benita and Kelechi and Olisa have mentioned it. The fact that it is a struggle that is also based on virtues, one has to cultivate human habits you know, habits that help you guard your heart. With even more reason, because of the world we live in now, you know, one has to, I, I like the way you said radical, like make a radical decision not to follow the general trend, if that is the general trend. When there's sexual content on movies and in, on series and in reality TVs and on the advertisements, you know, one has to make a conscious effort and sometimes radically oppose what one wants to just you know be pushed into so it's a, an effort to guard ones and if that is not happening it's so easy to fall the other way it's i find that it's easier when one hasn't had one hasn't doubled into a lot of like given into sexual desires i don't know and sexual acts in order to overcome those or to release those tensions if one doesn't double into them then it's easier to fight Sometimes people think, I'm going to release this sexual tension by carrying out a sexual act. Obviously, if he's a priest or someone who is dedicated to a celibate life for God, it will become a sinful thing, right? And then it also weakens the habits to fight purity. So one also has to help them, like if it becomes a habit to give in to those sexual desires, one has to gradually help them through prayer, through, you know, like just talking it out, a lot of spiritual direction, through habits in the opposite direction, sometimes even radical, breaking off with pornography, breaking off with conversations that are erotic, you know, a lot of radical, really re removing some reading material and let them struggle. I don't think the first thing will be get out of the priesthood, get out of that vocation because you are messing it up. No, all of us are struggling. 
married or not married, but luckily there are tools and there are people who can support, and I think we all should be supporting more. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, it's been such an amazing afternoon, um, just learning and sharing and hearing from our amazing panelists. I don't know who else has been really, really impacted and blessed. I, I know I have. I've learned so much um, just listening to each, each of our panelists. So first, I'd just like to say a really big thank you Thank you, Adora, for your time. Thank you, Josiane, for your time. Even though we came so last minute, thank you so much for honoring our invitation and for spending this afternoon with us. Benita and Kelechi, thank you for blessing us with your beautiful love story, your whispers and your advice. <laughs> really appreciate it. Thank you, Ulisa, for giving us hope that there's still men out there um, and that we should open our eyes when we go to church and we should not run out after the priest. We got that one. Don't worry, right? We're going to change. <laughs> Thank you so much for that as well. Um, really, really appreciated. Um, who am I? hope I'm not forgetting. And oh, Kaka, of course, how can I forget Kaka? Thank you so much for your time um, away from your, your husband and your baby and for honoring us, for giving us all that amazing advice on purity in marriage, for resetting us, even though I know some of us are wishing we never heard. But, um, you know, fine, now we have. So, okay, <laughs> thank you for that. And thank you, everyone, for coming for staying up until the end, for engaging. The comment section has been so amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everyone. It's just been such an amazing evening. I do hope, I, I can see it was insightful to you, um, or for you rather. So I'm glad it was not a waste of two hours, but I'm committed to getting us out of here by 5 p.m. If not, we have so many questions that we can still continue asking. But thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. Have an amazing afternoon um, and a great week ahead.